with each other in fellowship and to worship you in spirit and truth and to hear from your word. Lord, we, this, is a, this is a great spot in our week when we get to do this and, and we know that you're the one who makes this happen and provides us with this opportunity and more than anything, sends your spirit in order to make our frail efforts come to life. So God, do work in this time. Bless this time. Lord, there are people here tonight that need to to really hear especially and personally and intimately from you. I pray that they'll listen and hear what it is that you're going to say to them because I know that you're faithful and I know that you have something to say. So do that work and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand and worship the Lord.
say hi to a couple people and then you can have a seat. During worship, did God minister anything to you? Or did, is there anything specific that you'd feel free to share with us that you know, the Lord did during worship? Because it's, I mean, when we do that, I know God's speaking if we're listening and some of us are just winding down from our day. And, you know, that's okay too. But I just wondered if God, you know, did anything in you. <laughs> Yeah, Janine. Yeah, that's really cool. Anything else? I was, um, we were singing that song, Amazing Grace, with that other little bridge in it. Um, the, the lines that say, um, grace like rain falls down on me, hallelujah, all my stains are washed away. Um, f- for me, rain is like a, an amazing sort of metaphor for a lot of things. I, you, m- most of you know, those of you who don't will probably leave when I say this, but I'm a huge fan of Bob Dylan, and in, in Bob Dylan's songs, rain is his metaphor for memories that you know, you're processing and dealing with. And... and uh, Oh, gee, I can't start church like this. But <laughs> yesterday I had a really special time with somebody who's um, 
you know, like a daughter to me. And I, and I shared a story with her that I haven't really talked to people about much, but um, it was after my father had died, and I kind of, you know, I'd been estranged from my dad, and he was crazy, and, you know, but after he died, I, I really wanted to go back and see his grave after they put the tombstone in. And, um, but I didn't even want to admit to anyone that I wanted to do it, but I made up an excuse. I was heading up there anyway, and I, and I went to see his grave to find some kind of closure, you know, and, and uh, when I got there, the place was closed, and it was raining, and so I broke into the cemetery and, and uh, <laughs> went and found his grave. And just in the pouring rain, it was, I was just crying. I hadn't really cried at my dad's death, but at that point, it was just, you know, just really, it all kind of gushed out, but it was a real healing thing, and, and that rain coming down, and I've always thought of rain, and, and um, this girl that I was talking to yesterday sent me a poem that she wrote about her mom after her mom had died, and how she um, would run in the rain because you could cry, and rain just kind of, you know, has that healing effect, and so, you know, I was thinking as we were singing that song, how, you know, how true it is that even what feels like a cover-up in our lives, even what feels like, you know, okay, it's the rain, good, I can hide in the rain, I'm glad no one's seen me in the rain, but ultimately it's God's grace, you know, that's always there for us. And, you know, when, when you go through tough times or when you're in times of darkness or cloudiness or rain and tears and all that kind of stuff, don't miss the fact that it's God's grace, ultimately, that's just, you know, pouring down on us. It's, there isn't a tear that we ever cry that isn't healing, that isn't a part of God's just wanting to embrace us and draw us close and to care for us, so top that. No, I'm just kidding. I... <laughs> Anyway, that hit me. The rest of worship was great, too, but I had that thought, and so there's my study. Um, I could do a study on it. I will someday. But. Um, well, let's turn to Romans chapter 12. Don't worry, I'm fine. I know you think you're going to find me hanging in my office later, but I'm good. I'm, I'm really good. Really good. Romans chapter 12, we've been dawdling through it the last couple weeks, um, but I think we got to verse 9 and talked about verse 9 a little bit. It's a, a bit of a shifting of gears in the chapter, but the idea of letting love be without hypocrisy Um kind of funny because you would think if it's love how could it be hypocrisy we would have a tendency to think that um, it's either real love or it's fake love it's either love or it's hypocrisy but it seems that a lot of times when we're not comfortable expressing love we almost cover it up and you know, 
certainly a part of the aspect of this is that there are a lot of things that mask as love that aren't. But I think more to the point here, especially because he's exhorting us to let this happen. It's something that wants to happen. It's something that would naturally happen. And yet we can block just allowing our love to be real. Allowing our, um, you know, that which is within us to just be expressed. And so, you know, I think he's exhorting us to be okay with that. You know, to be okay, to be vulnerable, to be okay, to um, express, you know, concern for others, love for others, love for God. Um, Sometimes we can really love God, but then we act like we don't. That's kind of hypocritical, really, you know, in a way. And he sees our heart, and he's not offended or upset about it or anything like that. And yet, just this exhortation to let love be love. Don't, don't allow culture or self-consciousness or expectations or anything else to turn love into anything other than love. And, you know, so good a good advice, and, and love is honest. When you, when you start really seeing the love of God working in your life, it's going to be reflected by more honesty on a lot of levels and in a lot of areas. Love is, love has the capacity to, to melt so much of the defense mechanisms that we build up. Love has the capacity to transform us in, in so many ways if we allow it to. And sometimes we just fight that because we're not comfortable with it. And so, you know, let love make you real. Be okay with that. Realize that's, that's where we are the closest. When we express love, we are the closest to the nature of God that we'll ever be. He said that's how people know that you're Christians. The Bible says God is love. And so let that happen. Allow God's love to do its work in your life. And, and the result of, of love as it grows is more and more um, comfort with being who you are, being yourself, more and more um, being settled and not so worried about having to play a role or play a part. It's, you know, love can take that down, but you have to let it do it and you know we um that's a struggle for us often but then he goes on and says and it's kind of at first it doesn't seem like it really fits with the first statement abhor what is evil and cling to what is good but really allowing love to work in your life becomes this process of calling good good and calling bad bad um when we're not secure in God's love, everything seems to be gray. Um, when, we're, when we're trying to placate others or when we're trying to um, cover for hurt that we have, when we're trying to um, work against the work that the Spirit wants to do in our lives, the, the path of least resistance is to just, you know... Um, 
maintain the peace by not taking a stand ever. But love means it's okay to call evil evil, and it's okay to call good good. In our society today, it's just not okay to take a stand ever about anything. You know, is there, is there anything in this world that it's okay to stand up and say, that's evil? We, we, we want to look at evil and kind of psychoanalyze it and explain it away. And, and yet love says, no, you know, there are some things that are just evil and you ought to call it that and you ought to hate it. Hating, abhorring evil and hanging on to what's good. Making these kinds of value judgments. It seems very, um, you know, narrow-minded. But that's how narrow-minded good and evil are, frankly. And what we need more of is to find that which is good and hang on to it and to identify evil for what it is and call it out. And, you know, sometimes there are things that, frankly, there are people who are evil that nobody wants to say it. And so they get away with, with posing as something that they aren't because, well, you know, I don't want to judge. Hey, I don't want to judge either, but I do want to, when something is obviously evil, I want to identify it, call it what it is, put it in its category, and say, I want to move away from that. I want to move in the realm of, of that which is good, that which is godly. And love has to do that. Because love will be absolutely polluted by evil. Love will be corrupted. You know, there are people who fall in love, but then they don't really want to take a stand in terms of what's right and what's wrong, and they end up compromising something that's really beautiful, and it turns into something really ugly because of their inability to discern between good and evil. And, and so Paul is just going, hey, being a loving person does not mean, and in fact, it's the opposite. It, being a loving person means that you will call a spade a spade, if you will. When something's evil, you'll say it's evil. Be careful. Be careful about you know, labeling people as evil, but you can certainly label what they do as evil. Um, but more than that, you don't focus on that. You don't major on that. Get away from that. Get away from the evil influences in your life. Get away from the things in your life that pollute that purity of, of a sincere love and hang on to that which is good. We only have so many days to live. We only have so many hours in each day. And we choose you know, how we're going to spend the time that we have and how we're going to spend it together, either clinging to good or being affected and dragged down by that which is evil. And it starts with knowing the difference. And there isn't a lot in this world that's going to do that for you. Most of the people who are screaming evil about things, I question whether they're really being loving and whether they're really hearing from God. But God is able to help you to discern that. And, and before you even decide what's evil and what's good, be committed that what you want to do is absolutely grab onto that which is good with everything within you.
and to move away from evil, no matter whether it's coming from your own heart, your own habits, your own family, whatever, to just be able to go, I am choosing not to live my life that way. I'm choosing not to be affected by that. So he goes on, verse 10, says, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another. He's made this point with them before, and we talked about it earlier in the chapter in talking about spiritual gifts. But it's his another exhortation to say, you guys are family. As the family of God, you are family. Now, you know, maybe you don't come from a perfect family background, as when we talked about on Father's Day Sunday, maybe this is a bit of a foreign concept. And, and when, when Paul says, love each other like kin, which is what he's saying, you're going, man, our kin is the Hatfields and the McCoys. I don't I can't relate to that at all. Well, what God intended family to be, that is what the body of Christ is to be. And a person that you're biologically related to who isn't walking with the Lord is further away from you than a person who's halfway around the world who doesn't speak your language, but they're your family because they've professed faith in Jesus Christ and committed their life to him. And so it's, not, it's no longer about anything else other than who is following Jesus. And you follow Jesus with me, we are family. That's a blessing when your family also follows Jesus and you have that dual connection. And I'm always thankful for those in my family who really are walking with the Lord. But remember also, Jesus, when his biological family showed up, and they were there to tell him to ease up a little bit, they thought he was getting carried away. And they said, hey, your, your mom, you know, Mary, your brothers, sisters, you're, they're outside and want to see you. And Jesus said, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Who are my sisters? They're the ones who are here. They're the ones who are in the same place of fellowship. They're the ones who are sitting at my feet and making their priority this connection. And that is the greatest relationship that we can ever have as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so he says, Recognize how valuable that is. Recognize how important that is. And show the kind of love to your brothers and sisters in Christ that's appropriate for family at its best. And this is true of someone who has differences than you, who goes to a different church from you. This isn't just all about, okay, here we are, Calvary Chapel, we're family. It's us and no one else. You know, no, what do we do? Because some people, there are some people here who are visitors. We treat them like visitors. There are some people here who will decide that's the last time I'm ever going to go to that church. So what do we do? Cut them off as family because they'd rather be somewhere else? Of course not. 
We're family, and we are to embrace with a godly affection everyone who shares our faith in Jesus Christ. It should go without saying, but unfortunately, some of the nastiest fights, some of the greatest hurts, some of the greatest offenses that ever happen are between brothers and sisters in Christ. Worse than some of the worst of the family feuds. And so Paul's just reminding us, no, it's not supposed to work that way. And in honor, give preference to one another. It's this idea of you go first. I would rather have you be blessed than to have me be blessed. And that's kind of scary because a lot of times when you decide to let other people go first, then nobody else is ever going to let you go first. Sometimes when you're in a parking lot and you know you think, okay, the reasonable thing is I'll let one person go in and then they'll let one from our side go in and, and everyone will get out. But sometimes just people are mean and, and selfish and it's like, hey, there's a sucker who's letting people in. Come on, let's, let's jump in. He must not be in a hurry or she must not, must not matter to them. And, and we think that'll work that way in life um, and sometimes it does. Sometimes when you obey this scripture, people are going to walk on you and and take advantage of you, Um, but do it anyway, because the potential, and and preferring other people ahead of yourself or esteeming others higher than yourself, as Paul says in Philippians 2, um, most of the time, frankly, it doesn't work. Most of the time, it's probably a bad deal. Um, however, when it happens that you have a relationship or you have a group of people who are all preferring each other, it's incredibly powerful. It's like magic. And every once in a while, you will form a relationship where it's that way. Each of you really cares more for the other than you care for yourself, and everyone's needs end up being met. Sometimes there'll be a group of friends that are that way. And when it happens, it's worth all the hundreds of times that people have walked on you in order to discover that you, you, you take a chance. It's like love, period. I mean, you take a chance. You extend yourself. You make yourself somewhat vulnerable, most of the time it doesn't work out. But it's better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all. Because you'll never find that, that synergy of relationship that God wants you to have unless you're willing to let somebody go first and see what happens. So expect it not to work. Be pleasantly surprised when it does. But do it because God says to. And, you know, I'd rather be the last one leaving the room than to push my way to the front and have the emptiness that comes from just knowing that I was a selfish jerk, you know, and and that I wasn't representing Jesus very well. Yeah, most of the time the squeaky wheel gets the grease. But don't squeak. Don't do that. Let God do it, and he'll stick up for you. Your day will come. Success will result if you will prefer others, if you will honor them and 
and hold them up. Eventually, you'll find yourself in a place where we're all holding each other up, and that makes life worthwhile. Verse 11, not lagging in diligence. Boy, do we need this exhortation today. We have the laziest society. You know, and I thank God for the conveniences that we have and everything, and yet it's so hard to get people just to do anything. People are so lazy, and they're always looking for an excuse to not do something. They're always like hoping somebody else will do it. You read what Proverbs has to say about lazy people, and you feel like you're reading about our society, our nation, and our world in a lot of ways. Man, I'll, you know, I'll tell you something. And you know, the whole issue of call them undocumented workers, call them illegal aliens, whatever you want. But I, I understand that's a complicated issue. But when I start seeing legal Americans who are so much wanting to work that they're standing out at the street corner accosting your car when you pull into the parking lot, then you can tell me about it's time we dealt with this problem of these Mexicans. Because they put us to shame. Those guys are out there every day willing to work. They risk their lives. They risk their legal status. They leave their families in order to come to this country. Why? So that they can work. Now, if you're against that and you want them shot or whatever, okay, I'm not going to fight with you about it. I'm thankful for the people that God has raised up to minister to them. And when we get into Romans 13, we'll see that there are some issues to consider when it comes to civil disobedience and things like that. But, but I will say that in the early days of our country, this country was known for a place that believed in hard work, that believed that if you put in an effort, it would pay off, not just for you, but for everyone else as well. And... I see that in certain people. But the reason why, for instance, in the church, they, you know, they say this is true in every organization, like an 80-20 rule. 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people. Some people say it's more like 90% of the work is done by 10% of the people. That's just a shame. We should have so many people who want to help that our biggest problem is managing all the volunteers, is, is finding something for people to do. And that's not the way it is. But the body of Christ loses a lot of its power because of our unwillingness to really just get our hands dirty and get busy and work and do something. And no one would have to do all that much if everyone would do something if everyone would get involved. And if you say you're going to do something, do it. If you don't want to do it, don't say you're going to do it. Don't pretend like you're going to do it. Don't say, hey, I'll pray for you, and don't pray for somebody. Just don't even say that. Don't pray for them. It's okay. You don't have to. But if the body of Christ was characterized by people who are aggressively desiring to 
to do what they can do to make a difference in other people's lives, oh man, the power of what God could do would be unbelievable. Why are we not diligent in that way? Probably because we're not preferring others ahead of ourselves. I don't want to work that hard because then nobody else will do anything. Once you start thinking like that, (laughs) the nation's going down the drain. Church is going down the drain. The family's going down the drain. It will be our destruction when laziness becomes the accepted way of approaching life. Hey, we should be planning every day. Every moment is a gift from God. Tomorrow, what am I going to do with my moments? Tomorrow, what am I going to do that's going to make a difference for eternity? In some small way, is there some way that I can discipline myself? Not beating yourself to death, not knocking yourself out, not obsessed with productivity, just being a worker, recognizing that we are designed and created to be involved and to, to help others and to make a difference and to give. And those are just things that we're going to be empty and unfulfilled if we don't do them. But they require discipline. It's one of the big things that, that school is trying to program into you is that discipline that causes you to appreciate what it is to get up in the morning and have to show up somewhere and do what you're supposed to do and prepare yourself and bring your supplies and everything. But, but employers in America today say that there's a shortage of people who can just show up to work prepared and equipped and wanting to put in a day's work for a day's wage. And I don't know how that happened. And when the world is that way, that's not our problem. But when Christians are that way, that's our problem. Because this is a chance for us to stand out. If we would live, as, as he says, in diligence. Don't lag behind. Don't miss God's opportunities for you. I mean, it, it all comes down to do you really think that God wants to mess you over or do you think he wants to bless you? And if you find your blessing in obeying God, then you want to get on the stick and do everything that you possibly can that he is leading you to do and do it right away because it's going to be good for you and for everyone else. Don't put it off. Don't become a a slacker. Don't become someone who... um, you know, well, you know, I'll procrastinate and I'll get around to it one of these days. Catch yourself when you're falling into those kinds of habits. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit. That word means on fire, serving the Lord. What does the word serving the Lord mean to you? Does it make your heart burn? Does it excite you? Does it cause you to go, I would do about anything to have the feeling that I'm really serving God? Or do you think, oh, you know, it's for other people to do. I'll throw my money in the plate and pay people to serve God. Oh, you know, serving God is the greatest privilege you could ever have in the world. It's not burdensome. 
I'm really sorry for the times when those of us who do serve God act like it's a burden. When we talk about it as if you ought to feel sorry for us. It's, we're just pretending that because we love it so much sometimes. Kind of like last night, Ann and I were eating these things they have at, at Costco that's, that's a sorbet that's put in the skin of a fruit. It'll, don't all of you go get them because then they won't have them for me the next time we go. But <laughs> these things are so good. And they're you know, pretty low in calories, low in sugar and everything. And frozen, and they come with this little tiny spoon so it takes you forever to eat it. So it seems like you're just picking out forever. Well, uh, I'll confess, last night I, I had the coconut one, and Ann was eating a different one, and I had the coconut one. It was the best thing. I felt like I have never enjoyed eating anything in my life <laughs> like I'm enjoying this coconut sorbet. But I'm going, don't say anything. Because <laughs> she'll like, get a big spoon and just, oh, here, let me. And she took a couple bites of it, so I felt okay. But at the same time, I was like, put a temper on your excitement because I know she's going to want in on this. And I'm like... I'm living for those tiny spoonfuls of coconut sorbet. And, you know, that's the way it ought to be with ministry. We ought to go, man, I want to do, I want to savor this. I want to enjoy this and let other people discover how good it is. And, you know, sometimes we recruit people so much for ministry that they think, oh, it must be miserable if you're so desperate to get people to do it. But when you're serving the Lord, it is important that you enjoy that because God gets pleasure when you enjoy serving him. And really, seriously, people should hear you going, oh, this is so good. This is so great. And, and you will never experience what God has for you. you. Don't even come and tell me how miserable your life is don't tell me how messed up your family is. Don't tell me how empty things are. Don't tell me how lonely you are if you aren't serving God. You're created to serve God. And, you know, there are people who are busier than you who are serving God. There are people who are juggling, you know, I, um, Leslie this week was contacting me, and here she's, she's, a, a, she's raising two boys, working full-time, and she wants to coordinate a barbecue for us on a Wednesday night and an ice cream social for us on another Wednesday night after church. And I'm so blessed. And I'm not going, no, no, Leslie, you're too busy. Don't do it. I'm going, God's going to bless her for doing this. I'm so excited. That's so cool that God lays it on somebody's heart to serve in that way. And, you know, like every good woman, she's going to end up making men do all the hard part. But <laughs> if you are not serving God, if when I say serving God, you're like, huh, um, then don't go any further about telling me your problems, frankly. You're designed to serve God until you find a, a way to do that. And the way that you do it might be, I mean, it could be something as simple as, collecting empty water bottles and, and turning them into Kevin here and so that they can be cashed in for money for the missionaries or bringing your food for the rescue mission. Or do, I mean, you, you don't need somebody to give you a platform 
or a title or a program. Just serve God wherever, wherever he gives you an opportunity. If your serving God is to see how many people you can get to smile back at you in a day, that's an awesome way to serve God. But serve God and be diligent about it. Take it as a serious obligation and responsibility. You owe God your service and your joy more than you owe your boss the work that you do for the money that he is providing for you. And, and it will be the best thing you could ever do when you're in that spot where you feel like, I am doing something for Jesus. And so Paul's telling them this for their own good, and I'm encouraging you in this way, in the same way. Rejoicing in hope. That's pretty cool because we don't usually rejoice till God delivers. We don't usually rejoice in his promises or rejoice in knowing that, you know what? I mean, I go through a tough time. I don't often think, you know what's really cool? It can't get any worse than this. And it's bound to get better. And if it kills me, I go to heaven. Woohoo! That's rejoicing in hope. Going through a tough time gives you an opportunity to rejoice in hope. Anything else, when you're rejoicing because of what God's already done for you, that's, I mean, some of that's just plain selfishness. Some of that's just, you can't even help it. But celebrating the future, looking ahead and going, I am so excited about what God is going to do. It's based on his promises. It's based on his nature. It's based on his sovereignty. But learn to rejoice in hope. It's, it's what caused Paul and Silas to sit there in prison praising God after being beaten. And they were the only two guys in the prison that weren't surprised when they were let go. They just know God. Like, I wouldn't be at all surprised if he would do something like that. Sometimes I feel kind of stupid when God answers a prayer and then I'm like shocked. Sometimes you even show, you even show your lack of faith by making such a big deal about telling everybody, you know, God, oh, God answered this prayer. It was so amazing. Well, is that all that shocking, really, that God would, would do that? It's, how much better if we would go, I'm so excited because I have some amazing needs right now and I know God's going to come through. I can't wait to see how he does it. Rejoicing in hope. Patient in tribulation goes along with that. Are you willing to take it for a while? Are you willing to go through trials because of the hope that gives you your joy? This isn't whining for a long time. This is patiently rejoicing in hope though you are in the midst of tribulation. And then how can you do it? Continuing steadfastly in prayer. You know, if you take all the prayers that God hears in heaven, you know, most of them, probably, I'd guess, 
80, 90% of the prayers that God hears are thanking him for food. It's like, is he doing anything else? I mean, is there, you know, he wants to hear from us and we're like, God bless this sorbet. <laughs> um, yeah, today, Steve Bailey and I went and got these great cheesesteak sandwiches. And then we don't eat them very often, but they're really good. And you can tell I'm a little hungry. But um, so I'm reminiscing about past meals. But no, but it was cute. The, the guy that waited on us, he goes, and you know, what will you have to drink? And we go, just water. And the guy goes, Ah, oh, drinking right and eating wrong. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you know, probably. But that's the guy who's selling the sandwich, so how good could it be? <laughs> but, um, you know, our, our opportunity of communicating with God, of connecting to Him, is key to our being able to handle what we face with the best attitude possible. Every minute that you spend praying is a minute that you're not spending either worrying or complaining, um, stressing yourself out, or eating high-calorie foods. I mean, it, it is. Prayer is, is such a privilege. You can do it anywhere. You can do it at any time. You can do it without ceasing. And God is like sitting here going, I, I, I want to hear from you. You know how when you get an email from someone who you love and it's like you're just glad to see it? And God loves you way more than you love anyone else. And he loves hearing you say, Lord, and he is blessed. And that's our opportunity. That can be our way of life. And when we do, we'll find it much easier to obey these other commands, believe me. And when we fail to pray, it's virtually impossible to follow these other commands. Verse 13, distributing to the needs of the saints. Distributing, I like that. We get kind of tight with that which we receive. As if whatever we receive is for our disposal and some of it is for us to save up in case we need to dispose it later. And there's some truth to that. But do you ever realize that God gives what he gives to you so that you can be a distributor? It's not just all for you. And so often we can look at people in the world, we can look at people within the body and, and be praying for them and thinking, wow, they just don't have anything. And God would say, yeah, they do, but you're hanging on to it right now. <laughs> you haven't shared it. And Again, this isn't, uh, I'm not saying take everything that you have and just give it to whoever asks for it. In fact, somebody who asks you for money, I don't think you should ever give them money. Whether they're a preacher, whether they're a relative, whether they're anybody else. Now, if somebody's asking, don't give. If somebody's poor mouthing, don't give. But take a look at what God has given you and think, how could I distribute this? in the best way possible to get the most benefit possible from that which God has given me. 
Now, partly that would mean surprising people. God loves to surprise us with blessings. And it's a great opportunity when we can do that for others. And sometimes I think if you just think of who would be really shocked to hear from you, maybe that's who you ought to give a call to. (laughs) Who would be really totally unexpecting a blessing? You know, maybe that's... Maybe that's the one that God would speak to you about. But let God speak to you. Understand, though, you are a distributor. Now, if you want to sit in your warehouse and consume all the products, just not being a very good distributor, that's all. But God has given us everything. Paul told Timothy, tell rich people, man, God's given them everything to enjoy. That's good. That's fine. You You should be able to do that. You shouldn't feel guilty about a luxury, but he said also tell them not to get attached to the stuff and tell them to remember to share. Remember to take some of what you have and just be willing to share it with others. It wouldn't take for any of us to do much sharing, but what we would all end up having more than we need. Um, But, you know, that's just something that the Lord has has to speak to you and lay on your heart. Don't give anybody anything unless you can do it cheerfully. But I, but I think to see yourself as a distributor is to then recognize that you have a responsibility as a steward to discern exactly where it should go. And again, I would encourage you, don't give the grease to the squeaky wheel. Look for the one who doesn't expect it, who isn't asking for it, who would never dream of expecting you to do it. And go, God, am I maybe supposed to bless that person? And um, so be a distributor to the needs of the saints. Given to hospitality. Be willing to let other people into your circle. Don't be cliquish. Don't be selfish. Um, Be willing to open the door to others. Especially people who or strangers, people who are new to you. People, you know, a lot of times you feel like, man, I don't even have time to spend with people that I know really well, much less to meet anyone new. Please, God, I don't want to meet anyone else. I can't remember the names of my children, you know. <laughs> but hospitality is something whereby it is more important for us to reach out to someone who's new than it is to continue to fritter around dabbling in relationships where you've told the same story a hundred times, you've been, you know, you're all comfortable together. There's a place for that. You know, there's a that's that's home is where familiarity is just becomes a I can relax. But at the same time, just to to reach out, especially to people who seem like, you know, maybe Others aren't reaching out to them and to be hospitable to them, to open your door to them. It was something that was a major factor in the culture in biblical days. And today, you know, not so much. But it would be good for us to, to at least consider that. And, and you'll be blessed. I know those of you who've opened your homes to missionaries to come and stay with you for a while, yeah, it's got to be... Um, a trial sometimes when missionaries have kids and stuff and you're like, you know, please don't break anything. But at the same time, when it's all, the <laughs> are laughing, I know. But at the same time, 
When it's all over, you go, this is why I have a house. This is really the best and highest use of what I have is to be able to share it with somebody else. Don't move in with me because I want to be able to do this with others too. But to open that door for those short-term opportunities to demonstrate the welcome mat to to God's people and to just be open to them. Um, And again, if everybody who tries to sponge off of you gets what they want, you won't have anything left. You won't have an opportunity. You won't have that, that free bed to be able to say, hey, come and sleep here for a couple nights or something like that. But hospitality, it's a requirement of an elder in the scriptures, but it's a blessing for everyone. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. If somebody's giving you a hard time, bless them. It doesn't mean you just stay in a place where they can continue to persecute you. Sometimes the blessing is, hey, bless you. I'll see you later. I'm going to get out of here. Really? You know, Jesus talked about that, where if you go to somebody's house and, and you're really not welcome, then brush the dust off your feet and go somewhere else. If you try to be a friend to somebody and they're not responding, bless them and go somewhere else. Don't, don't like blast them on the way out. If, you're, if you go to a church and if you come to this church and you like decide that I'm too crude or you know, the people weren't friendly enough or you didn't like the worship or whatever, you know, just bless us and go. <laughs> but go. <laughs> no. no, but it's the idea of, hey, it's okay. I don't, I don't want something bad against you. I don't want to go badmouth you to everyone else or punish you for you know, what you've done to me. These are legitimately people who have persecuted you and you just go, you know what? I want the best for them. That's not to make yourself a doormat to them. That's not to paint a target on yourself and go, hey, come on, go ahead, take another shot. But just bless them rather than curse them. And he develops this theme as we, as we see in the rest of this chapter in an interesting way. Um, but then before that, in a more positive way, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. In other words, find connections with people in a place and in a time and in a way where you can relate to them. It's such a blessing to find someone to celebrate with when when you're celebrating. And it's such a blessing even that when you're crying and you find someone to cry with, it's a it's a it's a healthy thing. It's a you feel like, man, I'm I'm not alone. And, and so he's saying, look for those connections. Be empathetic. Find ways to, to put yourself into somebody else's place and to connect with people who are going through some similar things that you are going through. You know, um, And, and that's, a, that's a good thing. There are some people who are incredibly gifted in this way. And whenever I think of the scripture, I think of Justin Alfred. And some of you might know Justin, many of you don't, but he's a pastor years ago as a pastor at Calvary Costa Mesa. Um, some of you women have heard his wife Janie speak, but Justin's a big old Southern boy, um, played football at Mississippi State, and 
and just a big, strong bruiser of a guy, but he has a heart of gold. And if you are happy, he is instantly happy. And he can celebrate like nobody I know. I mean, he'll, I'll tell him something good, and he's like, oh, Brother Dave, oh, whoa, oh, man. I'm going, Justin, you're like, I just told you my wife had a kid. You're happier about it than I am. This is, but that's the way he is. He, he's just like so excited. And then if you go, yeah, hey, pray for me, Justin. I'm, I've been struggling lately. Oh, oh, Brother Dave. Oh, here, let me, let me pray for you right now. And we, when, when we were having our first child, William, the, it was right before, it was in December, and so the church, the, the staff at Costa Mesa was having their staff Christmas party. And we missed it because we were in 40-some hours of labor at the hospital. <laughs> and at the party, they, you know, somebody called and updated them as to what was going on. So all the staff members at Calvary said, hey, let's pray. And they asked Justin to pray. And I just wish I had a videotape of it, but people told me about it, and they all described it in the same way. He was, it was like he was being delivered himself. <laughs> he was like... He was going, oh, God, take that little baby right now, that precious little child, and cause his body to rotate into the birth canal and for his head to crown and to, you know. And it's like, And everybody was like holding hands going, man, I I better check my pants myself. I have a baby or something. But it's... That's so incredibly precious. It's such an amazing, it's such an amazing capacity. And I don't know anyone who does it quite like him. But you know, if I had something to celebrate, man, I'd love to see him. Because he'd celebrate with me like no one else. And if I had something that hurt, I would instantly, I would love to connect with him. Because there is that deep connection, you know, and, and so this is just what he's saying, yeah, you connect with each other. Okay, Anne's going to destroy the tape of the study by having some, what's the problem? Yeah, right at that time, so, yeah. Not as irrelevant details as I feared. <laughs> no, it's true, it was. It, it, right at the time that he was praying was when that baby finally, when William finally came, so. Um, so rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another, Connect with each other. You know, find ways to understand each other by by listening enough to know what somebody's thinking and being able to get into that. You know, that's such a such a privilege to be able to connect with each other. Don't set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. 
Do not be wise in your own opinion. In other words, don't be uppity. Don't think you're more important than others. Don't think your concern is what matters most. Don't be a social climber. Don't like go, ooh, how can I get close to influential people? It's funny, and I've heard guys say this a lot at the pastor's conferences, that you know somebody will be talking to you, but then right while they're talking to you, you'll see them glancing over your shoulder at somebody else, and they just realized they saw someone more important than you, that they would rather talk to than you. This is the idea of, no, you know, you connect with people and make everyone feel important. Don't be somebody who categorizes people, who's a respecter of persons, who's like, oh no, here's, you know, this is, the pastor's here, so let's act differently, or let's give him all of our attention, or something like that. We are all precious members of the body of Christ. Everybody's like that. And you know, truly great people so often are people who have the capacity when they're talking to you to make you feel like you're the only person in the world, to make you feel that you're so important. I'll never forget talking to Billy Graham and feeling like right now he'd rather talk to me than anybody else. This guy could talk to anybody in the world. And many people have said that experience when they met him was like, wow, he locked in on him and he just... And I remember Billy Graham telling me you know, Dave, what you're doing right now, at the time I was, when I was working at Calvary Costa Mesa, he goes, he goes, if I was a young man, I would love to be doing exactly what you're doing. And it's Billy Graham, you know? But it's like, and it wasn't a gimmick. I, I, you, I've seen celebrities who know how to work a crowd, but this guy is just genuinely that way, and I think God has partly blessed him because of that. There are other people who are that way too. Pastor Chuck would rather hang out with janitors than with celebrity pastors. He really would. His, the people he spends the most time with are the laborers and, and the people that no one else respects. You know, And it's a, it's a really endearing quality to, to have that, that thing that doesn't line people up in, their, in terms of their status and treat them accordingly. Do not be wise in your own opinion. I know you think you're right. Everyone thinks they're right. That's, that's life. But don't think that you're more right than everyone else. Don't be arrogant about the fact that you think you have insights that other people don't have. That's a tough one for, for all of us, really. But don't think that you're so wise. Let other people, if other people are telling you you're wise, great. But don't you go telling people how wise you are. Now, I have some people come and tell me just how much discernment they have and how smart they are and how much they hear from God. And I, personally, I'd at least rather hear a referral from someone else. <laughs> and then repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for.